the science and paranormal with Dr. Yana and Dr. Elliot, where science meets the unexpected, where we delve deep into the mysteries that straddle the line between scientific inquiry and paranormal. Get ready for a mind-altering journey as we embark on this phenomenal discovery together on United Public Radio Network 107.7 FM. All right. Welcome to another episode of uh, Science and the Paranormal. I'm Dr. Elliot. We have Dr. Yana. And we also have a very special guest tonight, uh, Dr. Carol Walsh. Three parapsychologists tonight. And uh, we're reporting, uh, or I guess broadcasting live from the United Public Radio <laughs> Network, uh, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 AM, 107.7 FM from New Orleans and also on Roku TV. Now, Daryl uh, is a very special guest to me because uh, I used to be one of his parapsychology students way back in the early 2000s. And uh, Daryl and I are now colleagues and uh, we have our own um, podcast, which we haven't done an episode in quite a while. Uh, <laughs> podcast. We've been a little bit busy. Um, and we're also uh, part of um, Ghost Project Canada, which Daryl will get to talk a little bit about tonight. Uh, including the hate mail. Oh, including oh. the hate mail. Yeah, and I got, got some a couple of nights. Oh, yeah, I got some two nights ago. Oh, I don't okay. want to open it up because I also got two scam um, emails. And so therefore, uh, I'm not opening it up. But it says scam uh get a life and then for whatever would be left on the the uh, email that i can't read oh interesting so, interesting yeah. um and uh yes we also uh we also work with paranormal phenomena research and investigation and also uh the center for parapsychological studies in canada so we are very very busy and uh yeah tonight we're just going to talk about parapsychology in general but first have you guys seen the movie uh, it's called uh, The Lazarus Effect. Have you guys seen that? Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 we did. Oh, we oh. did. I'm, re I'm reporting live from San Diego. I, we did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> yes. Um, um, have you seen it, it's, uh, it's, it's it older. Out? It's older. Uh, I want to say late 90s, I think, um, and or if not early 2000s. And uh, it's about this university crew that are working in a laboratory and they take some funding um, and they basically create this uh, formula that when you die, they, they stick a probe in like um, almost your temple and they inject the uh, chemical into it and it, it brings you back to life. And they started it out with a dog. Do you remember, okay. remember um, vaguely vaguely it, remember it, i might it, not have watched the whole thing it got me it's, thinking about uh people that that pay their money to cryogenically freeze themselves uh very shortly at the time of death and i've heard a couple of horror stories happen with with uh, this because some companies have gone bankrupt and um they basically like shut shut everything down and then you start to turn to basically like soup in, in these vats or whatever and then your family has to deal with with whatever they want to do um now there are some that are still you know funded and and you pay you know a hefty price to have yourself cryogenically frozen but i wanted to ask you guys do you guys ever think it'll be possible that they can unfreeze those people 
like with nanotechnology or something down the road where it like repairs whatever was wrong with them, whether it was, you know, cancer or uh, anything like that. Do you think they'll ever be unfrozen? Haven't they, haven't they done that to smaller animals? Um, I wouldn't be surprised. You see, we're so complex that it's a hell of a lot more. It's like a transporter. You know, you, they could transport a little tiny little gnat maybe, but they can't do us because we're way too uh, complicated, a nervous system and everything. Yeah, it'd be tricky. It would be nice. I think they've done mice. Uh, don't hold me to that. I can't remember. Interesting. I'll have to look that up. What's yeah, your by the way, put, yeah. putting something in the head reminds me that that's how they kill vampires in Eastern Europe. So. Ah, which reminds me. Eastern Europe. <laughs> yes. They were injecting um, something in the brain? No, they th they um, stake, uh, put a spike through your head. And actually, they just found some in England uh, as well. But they'll find them all over the place. They'll find them in the Alps. I think the and, silver and... nails. Are you talking about the silver nails? Uh, they didn't say. The last one I watched, the last documentary, didn't say whether it was silver or not. So, mm -hmm. um, But mostly it's just to take them down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. But I think that in order to uh, bring people back in the future, they have to be frozen now uh, in a certain way or be programmed to be able to be awakened in 100 or 200 years, for example, and uh, without any uh, destruction to the body or the tissues. Right. Otherwise, they're going to be just frozen, and that's it. And uh, we won't be able to bring even the brain back. It will be uh, the person will be brain dead, and that's it. So I think people have to be re particularly, specifically programmed for the future, unfreezing, in order to do that. Do you think? And, and they also have to have some way that they're not charged with murder if they have to do it while the person's alive. <laughs> um, you know, they have to get around that right. hurdle. And, and there's always going to be some DA in the States or Crown Prosecutor up here that's going to be really anxious to make a name and, you know, or is against it or whatever and goes bat you know, whatever crazy. I'm not sure what, what uh, the language science, when you get a fine on this radio program, uh, I know the F word's probably uh, <laughs> not on, but the S word, I was, I was about to say, that's crazy. And, yeah, uh, I don't I don't know. Uh, I know that there would be obviously cell damage from, from being frozen, so they'd have to, uh, and that's one of the scientific feats that they'd have to overcome there uh, is the, the cell damage from uh the extensive freezing but yeah I, I watched it the other night and uh i was like i forgot about those people that pay, pay to have themselves cryogenically frozen and i'm like geez i wonder if they'll ever you know figure out how to unfreeze them well we can you know some people have survived being frozen um you know in a lake they drowned and and uh it was extremely cold of course and then they um you know, they pull them out and they resuscitate them uh, after a, a long while. And it's, uh, yeah, so it, there's a bit of it. We can we can almost see it, you know, how it would happen. But I don't know how to yeah. get to there to after death. You know, there was a case uh, about maybe 10 years back in northern Russia. Uh, there was uh, a woman that was discovered in one of the graves that was very deep in the 
Earth, when they were building something and they stumbled upon uh, a coffin, that's what they thought. And my understanding that it was a stone coffin and they opened up the lid. They call it, I think they call it the princess. That was a woman in her uh, late thirties, I believe. And they opened up the lid uh, till, I think it, uh, I have to get the, the name right, but they called her a princess at the time because she, evidently she belonged to some of the noble families according to the artifacts that she had on her. And what happened is that the people who discovered that, who took the lid off, they saw her being submerged in some sort of pinkish uh, fluid, and she was alive. Hmm. And within an hour, that pink fluid turned dark, and the entire matter died. That's what they understood. Interesting. So yeah, the I know, she was I know. there, that's what they think for about the past 2,000 years. I know once they expose certain things, yeah, to oxygen, you know, if it's been sealed up, uh, that can affect it as well. Um, the other uh, the other interesting thing that you got me thinking about, too, is how they, they have found uh, DNA that they've been able to extract as well uh, from, you know, fossils and things like that. So, I mean, I guess it is possible maybe down the road with an advancement in technology to do it but you'd be some freaked out if it's like thousands of years later though oh like the uh this shows genesis 2 and there's the other one that uh gene roddenberry from star trek um fame made and they're almost they're essentially um uh, essentially uh identical but the first one was genesis 2 and the second one i can't remember but it's you know uh there's bad people good people and you know creatures and stuff like that so uh, it just reminds me they put him to sleep and there was an earthquake and, and i think it was like 800 years uh into the future or something so yeah that would be that'd be trippy that'd be there'd be so yeah. many ethical things you'd have to consider and yeah pretty wild um daryl why don't you uh why don't you tell us about uh ghost project canada what we've been up to on there I've been getting hate, hate mail. mail. <laughs> oh yeah, let's start with that. <laughs> it's more fun. <laughs> well, it would be, but I'd have to open the email, and I don't want to. But uh, I'm pretty sure when they put "scam" in caps, uh, they busted caps on me, as the saying goes. And then say, "Get a life." It's almost certainly not. Uh, but you know you what? Know, hate mail is a scam. Anyways, so don't even open yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Doesn't bother me. Uh, Facebook, when Elliot and I um, were uh, advertising one time about uh, must have been oh, yes. Halloween I or Ghost that. Project Canada, and there was quite a few people that uh, Elliot spoke to, and the one person said to me, and I said, "Well, Ghost Project," he called it some sort of half-assed uh, thing uh, and a scam, and I said. Well, no, that's not what we're doing. You know, we're not ghost hunters. Um, what we do is we collect all supernatural, folkloric, um, and urban legends and real uh, things that happen. And what we're doing is going to collect as much as we can in Canada, then the States, then UK. And we're going to do analysis on that and see what's related to what, or if anything, or where something might be seen more often than others. Now, most people will say a ghost ship is seen on the on the water, on the ocean, um, but that's not entirely true. It's also seen on land and it's also seen in rivers. 
And in fact, there's a uh, one of my favorite is the Viking uh, ship that's seen on the river, not uh, one of the unpronounceable rivers that runs into the St. John River in New Brunswick. And the interesting thing is that river leads to where we know the Vikings must have been because they have had beach nuts and stuff like that, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so that's what we're doing. And what we're going to do is after we've done the analysis and found out hopefully some really interesting things, uh, like I did when I did the Bigfoot uh, project. And, um, and then what we're going to do, we're going to give it to all the provincial archives as well as the federal archives. And then any researcher that wants to come afterwards uh, aren't going to have to, to uh, do all that over again or try to figure out uh, things. And hopefully we'll find some answers that so That's far fantastic. are eluding us. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Kind of a phenomenological study that uh, right yeah created there well that's why ago, I put so, up parapsychological uh, analyst because that's what I pretty much do right now uh, you know I analyze trends and, and stuff like that and like I said I started with Bigfoot first of all and then if your Bigfooters are listening you're doing it all wrong <laughs> anyway um, yeah because I studied 7200 so yeah it's when the book comes out I'm gonna get speaking of hate mail. Uh, true believers really go crazy. So yeah, I've kind of um, delayed bringing it out just because I haven't felt like uh, being, you know, the target. So, but yeah, other than that, and I work with Elliot, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we do research together and we also do some investigations and uh, I will be teaching again next year. And so uh, go back to teaching. Because uh, I miss that, although it may be writing as opposed to parapsychology. But Elliot and I are talking over how we could do it at the local community college, how we could get a lab together and do ESP experiments, not as extensive as, you know, they do at the Ryan Research Center. But at least um, we could give the students, you know, something to um, get a feel for and understand how ESP and psychokinesis is studied and yes and so then um, I'd like to do one on ghosts again uh, just because there's so much crappy TV um, telling people mistelling people how to look for ghosts and so but I haven't decided yeah. on that they might not yeah it would be it, it would be anyway. cool if we had uh, access like to the so when Daryl first started teaching parapsychology was at the Nova Scotia Community College um, the bell road campus very old building and of course it had uh some labs in it and things like that uh and um you know he just taught in the classrooms and had access to the library i remember us going in there for a couple nights as well to use the uh, audio visual equipment but um yeah it would have been cool if if that building was still there and uh mm -hmm. it was and, haunted too and you were still teaching yeah it's a shame they what they did is they uh basically tore it down and then built uh a new uh, super high school there um, now, but uh, yeah, the laboratory would have been cool because we probably could have used that for a few different things. Mm. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see what we can do. We just finished uh, teaching uh, introduction to parapsychology together uh, for eight weeks, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, we had a we had a good crew um, sign mm. up for the courses there. So yeah, that yeah, is was a so lot great, of, guys. A lot of fun. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, everything's kind of moved online now, and uh, you know, uh, it, and it it was good it for us. Makes it easier, well. yeah. E easier. We just record the sessions. If they couldn't make it uh, to class at night, um, you know, then uh, they can just download the audio or the video the following morning, and they, they 
review it and uh yeah it was it was fun it was uh it was you know the, the ESP... to... oh sorry yeah i'm Go sorry ahead. so the esp project you are planning to do that in person in the community uh, in the class yeah in the class, in right? the class. Oh, yes nice. students yes yeah it would be it'd be really good um because i've i've always had really good students and uh in and i started studying in i studying i started uh, teaching in 1996 and other than one class that I had uh, Easter, two Easter Islanders on, you know, those statues with completely blank mm -hmm. faces, uh, mm -hmm. you, you can't teach to a stone wall. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> but then I told a dirty joke at the last class and they laughed more than the other ones who were obviously already dirty minded. Mm -hmm. So I, I couldn't make those two out, but they, everybody was good. An interesting thing about my teaching though, Yana, is the fact that I got Elliot doing this more or less and a broken heart got me doing this so it's it go it, i suppose you have to you know we'll have to thank uh, adam because that's the same time the, the newspaper had an ad for college uh, courses and i remembered lawyer auerbach's book and uh where he said you could create your own um classes um because you're going to starve to death if you try to be a parapsychologist uh, so anyway um, are we guys starving so to what, death uh, <laughs> let's admit it guys let's admit we're not, it we're not we're not making money on it that's for sure <laughs> no no certainly not and i'm not on top of that i'm also an author and i mean that's the second uh, fastest way to starve to death uh, after poetry and so um yeah or novels and you know, yeah and you know the hate speeches or the hate emails or even texts even calls that i have been receiving as well uh they are so unsubstantiated because if we were getting a lot of money for what we do right and doing this research uh they would have said that oh yeah you're blowing so much money on it our own uh taxpayers money for example right but we're not doing that no, certainly not. What we should do is get all those little gold chocolate coins. And next time somebody calls us a scammer making so much money, we can have it all piled up right? <laughs> and take a picture and send it to them. <laughs> yeah. and well, I remember, I remember when you ran that ad uh, last time for Ghost Project, you know, we actually did get quite a few people come forward with stories and things like that. I, I, I can't even remember how many interviews I did for you, at least a dozen interviews yeah. where uh i sent your reports on what they were they were selling telling us and where where it happened and the time and the environment and remember there was somebody on there that thought because colors of ghost project canada are the same color like our country colors red and uh white somebody i was reading the somebody thought that it was a government agency that was created and that the government was admitting that ghosts exist because they posted, they're like, the government's admitting that ghosts exist. <laughs> oh, I hope you didn't dissuade them. I mean, we need all the PR we can get. No, no, I left, I left it because it, well, at least it wasn't like a, a nasty comment, but it was just funny that, uh, yeah, some yeah. people, you know. And I had the maple leaf on it as well, a certain, uh, yeah. you know, ways, I, it's different cards and stuff like that. I'll have them red, white, and a maple leaf, which is, is our country's colors so <laughs> yeah yeah actually i have one uh, right here on my desk uh for for anyone that's watching there We've got the uh ghost project canada uh pamphlets there 
So, uh, yeah, for some reason they thought that uh, the government created, <laughs> yep. created it. Uh, so, um, besides Ghost Project Canada, once uh, yeah, once we collect all the stories in the states, uh, the other thing that we want to do is uh, compile all the research um, to the archives, uh, each provincial archive and national archive, so that anyone else that's interested in researching, you know, ghosts or Bigfoot sightings or anything like that, they'll have access to uh, to the data. And of course, we're I'm trying... looking forward, Elliot, to uh, comparing it to the U.S. And then, of course, well, England's definitely going to be different, but I'm interested in comparing the, the Canada-U.S. Um, stories and stuff like that. That's what really I'm yeah, well, looking he, forward to different different areas too of the you know the U.S. have uh, you know different different stories for you know like down down uh, around Texas and the Mexican border they talk about uh, different creatures you know like the Skinwalker and all that stuff and then um, you know up in northern Cape Breton they talk about fairies because of the kind of the Irish Celtic background. Um, you know, obviously Nova Scotia is full of ghost stories. Same with the New England area, but the New England area also has like a vampire uh, side yeah. to it as well. Um, you know, so it, it's really yeah. cool. I think it will be uh, a really cool study uh, when, it, when it's done. And you're already compiling some stuff on the U.S. That's why I I was saying that we could compare it to the U.S. Uh, I believe you and Spencer already are, are compiling uh, data, so that'll be. Uh, that yeah, we, I mean. we gotta we gotta upgrade that. Uh, I gotta I gotta find some time and uh, and fix it. We had a couple errors with it, but it was it was working really good. It was starting to show it where show it on the map, and um, you know it had like the the weather location, the GPS location, all that stuff. Uh, kind of integrated using Google Maps, but I'll have to get uh, Spence to look at that for next year. We uh, what did we we didn't really do any work on the website this year. Uh, like work-wise uh it was mostly just planning the symposium which uh which that were... took up all the time i it's like i have the articles to go i just haven't got around to like picking them out and and then putting them on um the the web page and i keep thinking and it's usually at two in the morning um okay when you wake up do this and sometimes, of course, as i tell my <laughs> writing students as soon as you wake up you don't what, what was i going to do and then you say uh, write it down too, and that way you can look at it in the morning. And then you wake up and look at it and says, "What the hell does this mean?" Yeah, <laughs> well, well, it's funny. At two it, in the morning. It's funny because you say that all the time, but I started doing that like a, year, a couple years ago after you said that. So I have like a notepad on my phone, and so anytime I have an idea, like, "Oh, geez, Daryl and I should talk about this on the next show," or we should look at PPR, I should look at doing this. I'll jot it down. Because, like you said, sometimes you get that, that thought, and then all of a sudden, uh, the old age kicks mm. right? Oh, come on, old age. I hear that again, guys. This is so strange to hear that from guys. Come on, we ladies are supposed to be thinking about that, but not you guys. Come on. But you know what? That You're absolutely right. We have to be able to, uh, or even want to, write things down when we wake up, because uh, at night, all this unconscious content surfaces. And I know that even with the weird dreams that we have, or even the conversations that we may have in our minds, um, they have to be recorded because what happens to me most of the time when I hear something in my dreams, uh, uh, certain conversations on even names, and I happen to wake up at the time, I write it down. 
And I hate waking up, you know, I hate waking up. I want to still be there. I want to be sleeping, you know, because I know if I wake up, I will wake up and I will spend several hours not sleeping. And in the morning, I will look awful. So not you guys, we ladies look awful if we didn't sleep at night, you know. So I try to sleep, but at the same time, uh, it is so important to write it down. Because what happens when I wake up, yeah, sometimes you don't even understand what you you jotted down, right? But uh, in majority of the cases, uh, when I investigate and research it on the uh, this incredible library that we have on the internet, right? And even Wikipedia is a fantastic thing, even during the uh, working on the PhD, like, oh, you have to stay away from Wikipedia. This is such a nonsense. Nevertheless, for content like this, it's important to get every kind of information on it. And the names and the places that I would hear in my dreams, they would actually be in objective places. There would be places that existed in history and even now certain people and certain names. So that is so interesting. Mm. It is. So, and it's interesting because I studied to be a psychologist at first and non-practicing because ghosts came my way. Um, I got scared out of it. <laughs> but um, actually, that's not entirely an exaggeration. Clinical is, is hard to do, but it's, it's scary. But it, it is scary. <laughs> but my my uh, symbolic dreams all happen within range of a mile of wherever I happen to be living at the time. So you get have much more fun because you get to travel to all these exotic places in your dreams. And I just get end up walking the same old ro uh, you know, roads in Halifax. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Um, no, dreams are dreams are really cool. We actually in uh, the introduction to parapsychology course, we were telling, uh, you know, the mm -hmm. students that scientists still don't even really fully understand why we dream. Uh, you know, some believe that it's uh, processing memories, uh, a way to deal with certain things like grief and, uh, you know, trauma and encoding memories and things like that. But we were talking about uh, dream visitations uh, with ghosts. And uh, we had a student that was really interested in that. Uh, and we we're just talking about how there are different type of dream. Uh, if anyone out there listening has, has had a dream visitation from uh, a lost one, usually it's, uh, you know, within, usually it's fairly soon within uh, their passing time. Uh, it's extremely vivid. Like some people will say that it didn't feel like a dream at all. It, it felt like you were having a real conversation. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, sensation involved in it you might uh, actually feel the touch the touch of their you know their coat that they used to wear or you might actually smell you know their aftershave if it was you know someone that wore aftershave um extremely extremely vivid uh, to the point where uh it feels real and some parapsychologists believe that that is a form of apparitional visitation um so yeah we that, that's we very that. interesting Mm. That's very interesting that uh, you mention it because um, hmm, never thought of it as uh, ghosts, you know, like uh, because we discussed it in a, a previous episode that we call them ghosts, right? They were people just today, they're people, and in just a few moments, they become ghosts and dead bodies <laughs> and all. Yeah. So it's kind of strange, right? I um, I happen to agree, however, uh, well, based on my personal experience, of course, but. Um, I have discovered that it takes people, sometimes uh, uh, those who passed away, 
not ghosts, <laughs> they're ghosts, I guess, that become ghosts, spirits, right? Um, I've noticed that it takes them about six months uh, uh, to be able to come back and talk to us at times. Those who were able to get to their destination where they're supposed to be. However, those that have not passed and they did not reach their destination, they're still uh, mingling here, trying to come back and talk to us. And um, I remember myself uh, when I was uh, 10 years old and my grandfather died, who was my entire world. I remember that uh, I could not even cry because he died because I was in such a shock. But after that, for many years, he would... Uh, come back in my dreams and the dreams would be so vivid because and I knew that he was coming back and because uh, uh, in um, our culture uh, that was um, that was born and raised in Baku, Azerbaijan, but that's also for the Russian background. Uh, in our culture there, uh, people do make visitations after they, they pass along and um, it considered really real. So my grandfather would come back and uh, he would talk to me. Interestingly enough, uh, however, my family would be calling me in my dreams from different room, calling me to come because they were calling me to go and have a dinner together or for whatever different reasons in every single dream it was different. So my grandfather would be talking to me and asking me, how are you doing here? Please tell me that I came from the far and I really want to know how things are here. How's everybody doing? And I would be telling him and holding his hand and that would be so real. And then uh, when I would go to my relatives that were waiting for me in another room and call him to, to come with me, he would say, no, I'm not allowed to go there, but I will come back to talk to you. So those nearly became the objective reality because I knew that he would come and it was not the figment of my imagination because uh, I, I knew that uh, he was dead. But for me, all of those visitations were real and every time we would have a different kind of a conversation. So those kind of dreams, they were not compensatory dreams for what happened to me uh, during the day, for example, for during the, the past month. Those would be the actual conversations that I would be having with him. And he would be mentioning things that he did during the lifetime. And he would po be pointing to the objects that I had no idea that they were in those places. But he would just say, uh, go get this here, or uh, I place this object here. Uh, to the point where he was um, uh, um, he was a veteran of uh, World War II and he had his medals and his medals were stolen uh, probably a year before he died. It was a, a difficult time at the time. So his medals were stolen. They were at work and safe. So he told me where to find it. And mm -hmm. we were able, when I told it to my parents, we were able to find them. So that is so interesting because otherwise, how would you have known at the age of 10 and 10 and 11 and 12 at the time when he kept coming back and talking to me? So, wow. those, yeah, so those were the uh, actual visitations. Yeah, that's well, really, that's really fascinating story, actually. It is. Uh, not all parapsychologists uh, subscribe to it, but um, I can remember doing research on it and yeah, um, they, the belief is that the mechanism, of course, is a dream, but that your mind is more open to receiving 
um, things in your dream. So therefore, the, the dead can talk to you in your dream, but might can't quite come through during your, uh, you know, during the uh, normal day. And don't even get me started on EVP. Um, but yeah, so that's where the, <laughs> that's where uh, <laughs> Elliot and I are always teasing each other about EVP and uh, the Phillips experiment. But uh, yeah, so I thought it was fascinating. But the problem is, is to uh, how do you quantify it? And uh, although I would I would collect and have collected uh, those stories, it's how do you quantify it? You know, I can believe it totally, but that's different than provingly objectively. So. Yeah, and those are those are hard ones to investigate because it's it's strictly somebody's uh, personal experience that they've had, you know, through a dream, uh, and usually it happens. It's already happened because you know it's a dream, and then they're telling you about it afterwards. So, um, yeah, those are definitely. Definitely yeah, no, it's too bad you didn't think to go to a, uh, somebody. It was too bad it was ten because if you were a little older, you might have known to go to a sleep lab. And they would have wired you all up. And if your grandfather came to speak to you, then we'd have some data. Uh, you could say, okay. And if there was anything uh, that's not normal, of course, they would do baseline for you. But uh, if there was anything that was not normal or any sign that there was um, a change in your consciousness or an addition to your consciousness, that would be the gold um, the gold medal you want to see. And um yeah, we'd also know probably with MRIs and that where in the brain, and that would be extremely important. Um, yeah, so yeah, at the time, it's happening mm -hmm. again. Get yourself, get thee to a nunnery, as Shakespeare would say. But get thee to a, a sleep lab and a nunnery. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> not yeah, not in my, yeah. my case. But well, the you thing know what is you that about that. <laughs> but I had the sleep study. I had a sleep study because I had to uh, investigate my sleep disorder, and I finally went uh, to have a sleep study at night. And I hate to do that because I can't really fall asleep anyplace else. Mm. So the interesting thing that I discovered is because I was so interested in brain waves and how my mind works and why am I seeing all this um, visions and why am I able to perceive the information at the distance so and of course uh, that was the clinical setting and they put all of the flyers on me which are everywhere and it was very difficult to sleep and I wasn't able to fall asleep in fact but uh, I was told that the, the sleep study went uh, fine and I was able to fall asleep. Even in my mind, I thought that I wasn't sleeping. So evidently they have the, those um, ways of uh, really uh, understanding the sleep when you're falling asleep, when you're awake. So the interesting thing was that um, during the time that I was doing it, I had a tech and I was asking him because he was observing my brain waves. Uh, and I asked him, I said, so, so what do you think about it? Um, he told me that uh, you were falling asleep just so fine. And I wasn't asleep at the time. And I knew that I wasn't. And I was not dreaming at all. So um, with him telling me and also the results of the sleep study, what happens is that the my mind operates on alpha and theta waves in an awakened state. So while most of us would be uh, going about our day in a better waves, which uh, we will be able to comprehend everything nicely and study and work and talk in better waves, 
However, for me, it was alpha and theta, something that you would have in a state of deep relaxation, like hypnosis, that I would uh, put people um, under hypnosis and they would uh, start having alpha waves. So the, uh, and then after that, the theta waves as well. But the thing is that for me in a waking state, I have uh, alpha and theta waves. Interesting. So I forgot to mention that as well that Daryl um, uh, has uh, taken a, a course as well in uh, hypnosis. So he, uh, anytime PPRI has anything to do with hypnosis, uh, you know, Daryl always had that that background, and uh, so it's great. It's great to know that you both have that background. We actually had uh, one of our YouTube followers here ask a question. Um, any opinions on DMT and dream connection? I know, Daryl, you follow uh, a little bit of uh, drug work and parapsychology. What about uh, what about you? What do you guys think, Yana? Well, with the dimetriptyline and uh, dreams connection, so what is the difference uh, when we are having dreams while we are in a normal state of uh, um, dreaming, right? And when it is induced, for example, and that is a daytime dream induced by the drug itself. So I remember that uh, um, I was speaking to several people who have gone, uh, who have, um, who have gone to Amazon to do the ayahuasca, and the ayahuasca, they have the special concoction, of course, that has the DMT component. And they, in awakened state, not even dreaming or sleeping, they have certain visions. And those visions would be uh, very similar to each other. While they would be different, but at the same time, they would all, almost all be having the vision of a big, huge snake. Hmm. So that was very interesting to me. And uh, when I was, um, oh, he also says that I mean the natural DMT produced by the brain. This is very interesting. Okay, so uh, the natural DMT. Okay, we're going to get to that as well. Uh, by having those visions that would be almost an objective reality because they all like shared the same uh, visions. Uh, made me think of how do we have um, the DMT component uh, that our brain produces naturally. Because um, during my own research, I was working with a client of mine and um, I knew nothing about ayahuasca at the time. Uh, that was several years back. And even if I live in California, I still did not know anything about it, believe it or not. And <laughs> <laughs> right. That's not, speaking of uh, hard to believe things in parapsychology. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hard to believe. Uh, yeah. So I was working with a client of mine and uh, she had a certain situation in her life. And I was looking into that. And uh, I was looking at my own spiritual research and I was looking into the origins of her problem. And I had a vision, a very interesting vision, which I didn't have any um, 
understanding of it because I never seen it before. And to me, it was something very unusual. Even in mythology that uh, I investigated for many years, I did not have any frame of reference of what I was seeing. I saw uh, a woman in the Amazon, in the jungle somehow dressed in green, but she was uh, hanging in the air. And instead of her skirt, there were long... Um, root type um, um, long, uh, what are they called? Um, vines there, the vines. And they were really big and thick and they looked like it was her skirt. And when I asked her what it was in my vision, uh, I had a spelling of the word because she didn't say anything about it, but I had the spelling and I wrote it down. And at the time, I needed to confirm with a client of mine what it actually meant for her. And um, when I mentioned it, and I really spelled it out, and it was ayahuasca. However, it, the, the client was Russian. And in Russian, when I wrote it down, it sounds really funny, and it doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. <laughs> It sounds really perverted and like, man, I don't know anything about it. I said, this is what I heard. This is what it is. And she said that it was ayahuasca. And this is how you need to pronounce it because all I saw, I had a spelling of it. I said, well, that's good to know because otherwise it would be sounding like I really uh, said curse words in Russian. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> But at the same time, she told me that I saw a goddess Aya. That was the goddess uh, of um, Ayahuasca, in fact. And that was so interesting to me because I did not take uh, any substances in order to do that, in order to have these visions. And a lot of people have to take ayahuasca in order to see her, in order to see those big snakes that are the attributes of the uh, goddess Aya. And at the same time, I was able to see it. So our brain does produce DMT. And in my understanding that um, investigating myself on my, my own, the most interesting subject of uh, investigation. <laughs> Being able to really function on alpha and theta waves in the awakened state, I believe that uh, the pineal gland, my pineal gland, and along with other people, the seers, uh, people with ESP, uh, just like, of course, the Dr. Elliot, <laughs> him and I always have this ESP moment, <laughs> extrasensory perception. So in my understanding, our brain, the pineal gland, produces uh, uh, the, that substance in order to understand the reality around us. So this is how we operate in our brains, even if we still don't understand how exactly it is happening. But this component of DMT, it can also be spontaneous. And this is so interesting because we do uh, produce DMT naturally, but how do we induce it? Uh, there are so many different ways and the breathing exercises that uh, you can do in different uh, yogic exercises. And you are able to produce DMT, even access um, it. However, uh, it doesn't happen on the regular basis with all of us. So that's why people are trying to access DMT in their brains. I hope that I uh, 
answer that question. Probably now Dr. Darrow has uh, something to say about it. Well, it has an it has a connection to near death experiences because it's one of the more or one of the later um, supposed theories that DMT, um, which that you're it's actually the source of our near death experience or after death experience. I should mm -hmm. to clarify that um, because it's turning into near death and after death uh, things, and um, that and ketamine. And uh, I would not go near DMT. But I've always been on the um, on the lookout for ketamine because it only has 50, 15 minutes and uh, under medical uh, you know supervision, of course. But DMT can go bad real fast, and whereas ketamine is more or less I wouldn't say benign because it's a drug that uh, psychoactive drug. But it um, I'm curious because that was the when did they start with the ketamine? Probably about 20 years ago that came up. And so um, I was always curious to do that, but uh, DMT is one step too far. Though I would uh, participate in a very unethical and illegal uh, study, whereas they would stop my heart, wait five Oy. minutes, then restart me, just Oy. like the movie Flatliners. Mm. <laughs> and that could be the only way where we would know, um, but you'd never get ethical. No, bring it to that. Daryl's Daryl's literally he's literally willing to go to the extreme to prove to prove or disprove. <laughs> I'm gonna show up and haunt you. <laughs> I I don't doubt that. I expect to have a couple of visitations. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> We're uh broadcasting live tonight, guys, from the United Public Radio Network, UFO Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from so on Roco TV. We have Dr. Daryl Walsh with us tonight just talking about parapsychology in general. What's our next topic, guys? Oh, why don't you bring up the Phillips experiment? <laughs> <laughs> well, Daryl has a, a an interesting story that... Uh, um, I do. He that he said he would. Uh, it kind of makes him a believer in psychokinesis because, um, you know, he he does believe in ESP and, and PK, uh, but he you know he does feel that they're weak uh, and not uh, very well replicated in the laboratories, which is one of the criticisms. Um, but he had an interesting interview when he used to uh, film the television show Shadow Hunter with Dr. Michael Persinger, uh, who was a parapsychologist and neuroscientist up here in Canada. And Daryl, why don't you uh, tell the story about his PK experience? Okay. And I wish I wish he would have did a study on it. Um, but obviously, he just didn't mm. have the time. But uh, yeah, he, he had a transcription to to our depends if the person got lazy or not, because he talked a lot. I mean, that per Dr. Persinger was on a level that's above most people. Uh, he'd be like the Michelangelo's of neuroscience. Um, <laughs> You know, it's it, it, he was taught. I mean, I did not specialize in neuropsychology, but uh, I did take um, anatomy, physiology, and biological psychology, and, and a few things. So I know my way around the brain, but obviously not to the point that he does. And of course, since I did study that, things have changed. But um, so he's going on, and I'm not. It's like. Whoosh. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So and we get back to his office because he wanted to show me something in another building or something. And um, so we get back to his office. And I'm sitting here. Um, he's there. And we get talking about psychokinesis. And we had a thing in Shadowhunter where we would ask every guest 
every topic we were going to do on Shadowhunter because they might have something really interesting to say or send us off onto uh, uh, someplace we should go to find out more information or interview somebody or whatever. So we were on psychokinesis at the time and um, he says, and I've even observed it. And, you know, I just, excuse me. Um, and he said, yes, he said, I had a, a female a student here and she was on the other side of the desk and there was a red pen. Um, just you know across the desk and he said she it she moved it just by staring at it and I was at the, that desk and so there was no way anybody could get anything underneath that desk and move it and and, and why they would want to do that I'm not sure because he wasn't into psychokinesis um he was in more into the god helmet and uh, uh, what makes us uh, have spiritual uh, uh experiences and so um Although at that time I was uh, undecided about ESP and psychokinesis, and if they do exist, um, I think there's enough evidence to say if they do exist, they're weak and they're rare. So not everybody's going to have it or be able to do that. And uh, but this one, this lady could, and uh, so I had to take him at his word because. Um, He's brilliant. He was very often a skeptic on some paranormal shows. He'd be the guy they bring in to, you know, to counter a ridiculous theory or or what have you. And um, yeah, I, I was forced to, um, you know, think about that. And so, if he said that, you know, it wasn't just anybody. It was it wasn't one of us or something. You know, this is you know somebody very distinguished and incredibly intelligent. Um, I'd say he's probably one over 150 or was one over 150 IQ. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm as much as I can't see the mechanism. Uh, I can't see how it would be controlled. I can't see where, you know, there's a whole bunch of questions with both of those. I can't, and ghosts, um, and I can't see, um, the mechanisms involved, but I do have a, um, I do have an idea that they're real. And so it's, uh, and I'm forced to by Michael Persinger. Uh, he said also, by the way, he said the reason that psychics are so good has nothing to do with them, anything supernatural. Now, this is interesting because he just said that psychokinesis was true. Now he's saying ESP isn't, which is fascinating. And of course, they're not, they may not be related at all. Um, but he said the reason that psychics are so good. And the reason I brought up Michelangelo a few minutes ago um, was that just as Michelangelo is with painting, these psychics are with body language. And then we're, we're forgetting cold readings and, and looking up the, the customer ahead of time and all the other things that can, you know, can make the person look like, um, uh, the psychic look like they know what they're talking about. Um, he said some people just are so smart and so observant. They see cues with our body language that the rest of us don't see. And, and so they're able to essentially, and also they, they're reading the reactions, whether or not you say anything, um, uh, you know, confirm or deny. Um, they'll see, we do have our tells. And uh, um, so, yeah, so it, it's, it was very fascinating to talk to somebody so uh so smart and so um just um like a yeah skeptical and, and uh, very critical of some things and very many things in the paranormal so um it's so interesting that he uh that he didn't 
didn't really believe in ESP. Mm, fascinating, actually. Yeah. And uh, interestingly, uh, Kim and, Do uh, and Donna um, didn't hear that, even though they were right behind me when, when he said that. So I don't know if they zoned out or they didn't want to hear that because they were deep believers in, uh, in ESP at the time. And uh, so, yeah, so I had to, this was weeks later, we were back in Halifax going over the McDonald McKay Bridge. And um, I said, you know, you know what he said about ESP, right? Because they were talking back and forth because we must have been going to interview a psychic. And um, I said, you didn't hear what the he said? And I, I just went quiet and then ignored me. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I'm only the host and narrator. Um, so, yeah, it was they didn't want, want to hear that, though. Um, Interesting. And I do. It would have been cool if he had uh, done, you know, an experiment with that student and uh, and wrote a paper on it. Because I would I would hazard a guess that the, one of the only reasons he believed in it is because he saw it with his own eyes. Probably. Um, yeah. uh, and we didn't have a camera on us at that time. Bob was still, as you can tell with the lighting behind me, um, took a half hour to get this. And this is half-assed. Uh, but Bob would take two to two and a half hours to light the place the location to match each um each episode and uh he should have gotten an award for it because they're just beautifully sh uh shot and and the colors and everything um but he didn't have uh the lighting done yet so there was no camera on us and i would have loved to have had that on film you know and keep going over it and 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 everything that he he said and and Paris's words and everything and his body language and and all that and he talked other stuff too but like i said i can't you know he there might be gold there so i'm going to check the transcripts but uh <laughs> i'm not quite sure uh if they were written out because uh, some people would not have the ability to understand what he was talking about so that yeah. is so great, guys, that we do this research, and particularly you too. That is fantastic that you even teach that, because speaking about believers and non-believers, like in the scientific world, we don't really go about believers and non-believers. We see that, right? We see that the results of the studies uh, we observe, and then that, that's how we uh, make our conclusions. But then for the outside world, they need to have the evidence and you produce that evidence for them. Uh, that is absolutely so fantastic that, that you're putting all of that uh, footage in one place for other people, not just yourself to do the research on and for others as well. So, you know, a lot of the times when uh, people come to me and they say all oh, this unpleasant thing is a hate, <laughs> that's hate speech, you know, I, uh, I usually respond to them, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not here to persuade you or make you believe into anything here's the evidence and you make your own conclusions exactly yeah i told the one i told one hate mail person with uh, on facebook i said well if you think what we're doing is crap then i suggest that you write or call every single folklore department in canada and universities mm -hmm. and uh sociology departments this is before um this uh, or this was um uh when before the whole gender thing blew up and uh i said uh, sociology probably and i forget i've listed a couple of, and else i said because they're doing similar stuff and they're doing work in the same area we are and we're doing scientific work so yeah and yeah, i i didn't tell them to do what i wanted to tell them to do but um um yeah so i just answered back straight and then i 
told Ellie about it. And I said, Ellie, they, you know, yeah, you take care of them. And he got a little hot under the collar once in a while <laughs> with some of them <laughs> over the years. But uh, yeah. You know, guys, this is so interesting that, that we talk about it because it's very important for people to hear. However, it always fascinated me that knowing, for example, that we talk about it uh, and uh, not only that we talk, we do possess uh, uh, certain qualities and certain gifts uh, uh, in parapsychology, like, for example, of the, the four tenets of telepathy, clairvoyance, then precognition and psychokinesis. I have them all as, except psychokinesis. And people confuse uh, you uh, with someone that they can come and bully and say all these nasty things without even, even comprehending that if we are capable of all those things to do in a good way, right? In a really benevolent way, because uh, we're scientists, I would talk about it. It wouldn't even have to be scientists, but if we already possess all those qualities and the gifts and are able to work for the light and produce uh, uh, great things in our life, uh, helping humanity, don't they think that we can also use those uh, abilities to uh, do something to protect ourselves or even uh, to um, have the nasty people in our lives to be able to be quiet? And just because they probably are hoping that we're going to be ethical enough in order not to use uh, those uh, qualities. And they are rightfully <laughs> that they are absolutely right that we won't be because that would be stepping down and... Um, doing something that uh, we wouldn't be uh, wanting to do. Because as my brother once said, he one time I was so upset about somebody that uh, did something wrong against me. And I was so upset. So he called me up from overseas and he said, okay, Yana, what are you going to do? You're walking along the street and you see the puddle uh, with a, a swine sitting in it. It's a dirty puddle and the swine is sitting there and yelling something nasty at you. You're such and such. You are stupid. You're nasty and uh, you have nothing new to say. What are you going to do? Are you going to come and kick the swine? And by doing so, you're going to become dirty yourself? Or you're just going to forget about this wine as saying nonsensical things, just shaking the air. That's what we call it and continue on your path. So this is what I prefer to do. But however, people don't understand if we are capable of good things on such large scale, we're also capable of doing things on the uh, negative scale. But we choose not to do that. Yeah, no, that's a uh, yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, There's a saying I heard um, about uh, about um, people, uh, you know, the critics, and and they say you can, you know, it's like wrestling with a pig. You can, you know, you're full of mud and your and your um, you're getting really po'd and you're sweating and and all this and it, the mud's all over the place and you're having a rotten time. Meanwhile, the pig is just wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, sweating yeah. and being and I, in dirt, just yeah. wonderful. Heaven for a pig. <laughs> it the proper way, because I can't remember, it's been so long ago, but essentially it's like the, the pig had a good time. You, of <laughs> course, you know, came out of it battered and bitten and, and uh, muddy and uh, and all that. But uh, meanwhile, the pig, uh, Jesus, having a wonderful time. 
and then yeah, they, look at people like that the paranormal's funny it's uh you know sometimes it brings out you know uh well, some negative in people and you know other times uh it um like within the paranormal community i find a lot of uh, whatever you want to call them ghost hunters or amateur paranormal groups like fight with other paranormal groups and uh they get very like territorial over investigations like public sites <laughs> like museums and things like that and you'll see them fighting about this like you know saying like oh no we we're the ones that investigate uh, this museum and you know, they, they, they almost feel like they, they take ownership of certain locations. and Elliot, it's a perfect uh, thing for a TV show, Paranormal Gang Fight. Yeah. Right? And you start off with one, and then you keep bringing in whoever wins the first, uh, the first round, the first uh, episode, and then, you know, moves on. And, and yeah, Paranormal Then who is going uh, to be the pig? Fight. Who's going to be the pig in the first place? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone will be pigs, <laughs> sweating and being in the dirt. So yeah. let's avoid that, guys. Let's avoid that. <laughs> it would, yeah, it would probably sell. Given what's on TV these days, you never know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, that's for sure. That would be pretty popular. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's funny. Sometimes, like you, like I said, you'll just get uh, as Bank as Doctor Bankman says when uh, he asks whether or not uh, Sigourney Weaver's character is telling the truth. Uh, you know, he says some people are just uh, just want attention, and then others are just nutballs who come in off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, we don't get a we don't get a, a ton of. Uh, a ton of like crank emails and things like that. Uh, but you know, every once in a while, either you'll, you'll get a mental health um, email where you can clearly tell, you know, it's mental health and we'll try and direct that person towards that, uh, you know, that kind of field to, to help them out because um, you know, certainly that's, that's not our job at, uh, at paranormal phenomena research investigation, dealing with mental health issues like, you know, Daryl, did his master's in counseling psychology, but chose not to go in there. Um, you know, same thing. I, I, when I was studying my master's in counseling psychology, I realized that counseling was not going to be for me. I don't, I, I, I shoot from the hip and you can't do that with counseling. <laughs> so, uh, I, no, I was, uh, I was practicing with Sarah because we had uh, live sessions to do. And uh, I said to Sarah, I can't, I can't swap. I can't, I, I just have to say what's on my mind. And she's like, you're not, you're not going to pass. So, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I realized very quickly it wasn't the job for me. <laughs> exactly. With the counseling psychology, I thought, you know, I would starve to death because I would fix people's problems right away and not make them dependent on you for years and years, make them incapacitated, right? Not being able to take care of themselves. And well, that's psychoanalysis. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> 15 years. To get to, to screw up your mind. That's well, even for now. therapy, you know, like right. in New York, every single person, uh, every one There's and no a half riding. people, <laughs> new writing, that's for sure, living there, right? But they all have psychotherapists. Yep. So, and they go to therapy for years and years. So, I did not want people to be dependent on me because I don't want to have the same people be stuck with me for so long as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. that's very true. Yeah, no, that. Uh, that that's so that's so true um well 
Uh, we've talked a little bit about it on, uh, well, on our show, Daryl, but also uh, Yana and I have talked about it as well with the emerging field of clinical parapsychology as well. So that's that's very helpful where you have somebody that does practice either psychiatry or psychology, but also has a background in parapsychology. Um, you know, uh, we, we don't have any clinical uh, parapsychologists on our, on our staff, but uh, I know Daryl is interested in um, possibly pursuing that. So I wouldn't be opposed to that. It'd be nice if we could get him some some funding to, to do that because I'm sure another PhD will be quite costly. But uh, yeah, well, much costlier than the first two, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you were looking you were looking into it. I think it was a university in Maine. I think you were looking at well, the pandemic killed it. Um, I forget what university is looking to and all I had to do was just sign the paper, send in um, uh, request, uh, you know, for my BA and, um, and, uh, MA and, and that kind of stuff. And then the pandemic hit and yes. well, that took care of that took care of it. So <laughs> yeah. I couldn't afford a PhD now anyway. So, uh, and then I'd be wanting to know, do I do one in counseling? Cause I wanted to always counsel teens, gay teens, um, that were not accepting, uh, ego dystonic homosexuality. In other words, not accepting themselves. And uh, unfortunately, I never got there, but um, instead I got into ghosts. And so part of me, though, still wants to follow that dream, although at much lower tempo now than it used to be. And part of me wants to say, well, no, do something in the paranormal. That's where you're you're working with right now. So do a research uh, PhD on something. So I yeah, I, I hadn't even an idea. Um, the courses, the first few courses are the same, so you can just kind of defer, um, you know, exactly where you want to go. But eventually you've got to talk to an advisor and say, you know, I want to do it on this or I want to do it on that. And they don't need me really anymore with, with gay teens, although I don't know, let's not mention gender roles. Um, and then <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not really needed there anymore. Um yeah, but there's other people working there. Um, some quacks and some good good people that know science, and then obviously there's um, parapsychology. And uh, so I probably would have swung to survival and consciousness and something like that. Um, but I had no idea, you know, up to while I was going through all the papers they had sent to say to think where am I going to go with this? And um, yeah. So I'm glad actually I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, geez, yeah. And today, well, that's just it. You never know, right? Like, uh, especially, you know, like I Sarah, Sarah heard about the article today where Canada wants to uh have all electric vehicles by like 2035 or 2036. Is this real? And I said, Yeah, I was like, I guess if that happens, I'll have to buy a Tesla, one of those white ugly Teslas that Yenna and I talk about every once in a while. <laughs> But guys, but, uh, how is it possible to have Teslas in Canada? They are electric cars. They're gonna freeze to death. You won't be able to move. Probably, <laughs> probably. When I was up north, I had to have a block heater put in my vehicle, and I didn't even know what a block heater was. I was when I went out to Regina for uh, basic training. I'm like, why? Why does everyone's car have a plug hanging out of it? And someone told yeah. me, oh, it's because they have battery warmers and they've got block heaters. I'm like, what is all that stuff? Like, I'm from Nova Scotia. I don't do that. And uh, it's because it's so cold. It's so cold in certain parts. You got to like have a battery warmer. And uh, 
I, I know yeah. I replaced multiple batteries uh, when I was up north because, you know, they just eventually the cold kills the charge uh, capability yep. on it. And um, the problem with electric cars right now, like the mother-in-law is a service advisor at Ford. She said some of their electric uh, batteries to replace are anywhere from twenty to $40,000. It's very so, expensive, guys. Very expensive. Yeah. 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 So if it's not under if it's not under warranty, uh, you know, it's it's just crazy. But she was all worked up about that. And um it's funny though, because you know, you look at your modern day mechanics now and even they're struggling with uh how you are a mechanic today compared to the new people coming up because today it's all computer systems. Yeah. And um, you know, you basically plug the vehicle in system tells you what's wrong with it a lot of times it's just sensors uh, it's not actually like mechanical issues um you know and you're starting to see these uh kind of trades being being phased out right so it's interesting that you mentioned that because like today uh, back when you wanted to do um your degree uh and, and counsel uh gay teens you know that wasn't really talked about in, in society whereas no, now it now it's like very open and you know everyone's you know mm. more comfortable it was more fun to be gay back in the 80s yeah you said that yeah you said now it's boring and, yeah but yeah. yeah it was it was more fun because you were doing something illicit and uh and so yeah it was a lot more fun and you could have fun with people at university you could talk you and a friend could talk around and say many things without actually coming out to say it and sometimes some people can be so dense and uh but anyway we didn't do that too much but yeah it was a lot more fun and uh but yeah um i wonder as yana says i wonder how you know in canada the ev cars are going to happen and i saw i actually saw a documentary now we're way out of psychology parapsychology but i just i saw recently i saw a documentary that said that they're not necessarily the best thing and electricity has to come somewhere uh from somewhere so yeah so but if it gets people using transit because they're too expensive that might be a good thing um that's assuming we build the transit uh, system to match but uh, yeah, we got a yeah, lot. It'll, 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 it'll be interesting, but it just, no, it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, certain, certain things can be phased out. E even in psychology now, like Daryl and I, you, uh, we were talking about this in our course now that there's transpersonal uh, psychology, which studies, you know, spirituality and, and consciousness. And then there's also anomalistic psychology, which actually studies the paranormal, but more, um, you know, kind of like more looks for, uh, psychological explanations and uh, trends and things like that. And, you know, 10 years ago, you didn't really see transpersonal uh, psychology or uh, anomalistic psychology, but now it's... Uh, Is it a part of transpersonal psychology? Anomalistic? No, no, no it's definitely. a completely different, completely different version. And it, and it is... Can't even uh, pronounce that. Anomalistic. Anomalistic, yeah. No, it takes, it takes uh, pronouncing over and over again to get it right. <laughs> Oh, no, I was interviewing an anomalistic psychologist and I couldn't say the word on camera. So we just let him say it, right? Yeah, no. It, <laughs> you can mispronounce it and that would be bad. Okay, it's funny take though, because... 42. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is funny because it, it's called anomalistic uh, psychology. But what it does is it actually examines paranormal phenomena and it looks at individuals like extraordinary experiences uh, just from psychological perspectives, though. So it's... It's really cool. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, universities that offer anomalistic psychology, but it's um, it's out there now. And, uh, 
you know, it's, it's very, very interesting. The other place, um, if you're interested in uh, academic parapsychology that still teaches it is uh, University of Edinburgh uh, over in Scotland um, to let you do, uh, you know, your theses and, and study under uh, the Kessler parapsychology unit over there. And of course, you guys teach it, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so we... anyone who wants to take a course should come to you as well. Yeah, we teach it um, uh, like non uh, non certified. Obviously, it's uh, not accredited or anything like that. But um, it uh, it's all based on the most recent scientific uh, case studies. We try and present uh, you know the uh, most accurate information. Um, we are right up there with, uh, the Ryan education center, um, for quality, for sure. We even bring in some guest speakers, uh, we're working on, um, I know Daryl's going to shudder, uh, the electronic voice phenomena course, <laughs> uh, but, but we actually have a audio engineer, um, on our team. Uh, so he's going to teach us, uh, you know, how to set the tape recorder up properly for what settings to use, uh, how to analyze audio using, uh, software, um, and it's more a practical kind of course rather than, um, you know, I guess a theory course, uh, you know, cause I, I do, I do agree with Daryl with EVPs. Um, there's, there's an issue with trying to find out what they exactly are because there's four different, uh, on what they could be. And, uh, we've investigated quite a few of them. We had, uh, a Facebook, uh, case where, uh, two gentlemen were talking back and forth on, uh, Facebook using the voice, uh, chat, not the, uh, text, uh, voice text, but the actual voice, uh, microphone. And, uh, there was some interference that had come through and I had, uh, a friend of mine that was working at the RCMP technological crime unit at the time, analyze it and, uh, turned out to be, uh, like I said, a Facebook crossover, uh, conversation. So that can certainly happen, uh, even in, in that was just a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, uh, telepathy is one theory as well from the investigators, from the homeowners, um, that are there. Uh, Michelle DeRoche, uh, actually had that, uh, happen to her, um, on one of her cases, her child was sick and, uh, they were going to do a initial interview with a family and, um, she kept saying in her head, you know, I got to get home. My daughter's sick. And, um, sure enough, it, it showed up on the tape recorder. And then, um, obviously a lot of people hope that it's a, a spirit trying to communicate with us. Although Daryl doesn't understand if they take an electronic course to learn how to do, uh, the ones and zeros on the new digital recorders to, uh, to communicate with us. <laughs> um, and then the last one is just audio pareidolia, which is very common. Um, you know, when people, uh, listen to, uh, something that doesn't make sense to them, our brain is designed to try and make sense of this. Uh, same as when you look up at the skyline. You can see Mickey Mouse in the clouds because the brain's trying to take something that it doesn't visually understand and, and make sense of it. So um, that, I, I can see the issues with I can see the issues with uh, with EPP. That's why I always tell uh, investigators like you have to have more than just going into a house and catching a, an EVP. Um, you know, you have to have all the other factors that happen like uh you know are there are there cold spots are people seeing apparitions is it a female apparition and does the voice match the um what's on the tape you know like because if you're getting a guy if the family's only ever seen a female apparition but you're getting a guy's voice on the tape then is it really you know is it really a voice then or is it pareidolia so there's 
there's there's a lot to go through it. It's not it's not like sexy on TV where uh, where they're go, just going there and getting all these crazy EVPs and and especially today now with uh, the applications that people are using on the phones. I think oh absolutely yeah. I, I think I think they're complete garbage those applications and um, there's been some studies being done uh, now on the Mac field of parapsychology about how they're designed for entertainment and. You know, they, they may or may not listen to our conversations and generate certain words that we always use to try and create like a, a familiarity with us when you're using that application. So um, I think we'll see, I think we'll see some interesting research come out on those types of uh, paratainment applications here in the next couple of years. That is so interesting because a few years back when I was interested in it, someone brought it to my attention. So some people were really listening to certain radio frequencies, uh, claiming that the extraterrestrials can come through it. While it is possible, I guess, in theory, I asked my dad and he's an electrical engineer and he said, uh, uh, we have to be objective here. We have to be realistic. So what happens through the radio, it can be just the radio interference from different stations as well. And that made a lot of sense because uh, he scientifically brought it to my attention and at the beginning for me, because I'm not the, uh, an engineer in any sense. Um, I thought that, oh, maybe that would be possible, would be one of the ways that, that they can communicate with humans. But at the same time, this is what he told me. And he told me also that the, uh, also in the Soviet Union times at the time that um, people were interested in communicating with ghosts, even in extraterrestrials. And it was all proven to be not true. And that was yeah. interference on people creating and making things up. Um, yeah, exactly. I, um, yeah, we always <clears throat> says to me that I, I, or he always focuses on the digital part, but I, I can, okay. I don't believe in it, but let's say I could, we see the mechanism on a magnetic old fashioned tape. That right. Somehow something yeah. was written there in order for that to happen on a digital recorder, the ghost literally would have to manipulate thousands of ones and zeros to do it. And I, you know, smart Alec, he said, uh, what do they have to take a special course in the afterlife on how to, you know, up their game? <laughs> right. Um, you know, so, yeah. You we know, need to create it and teach it. <laughs> I know. If you can't hear it, it didn't happen. Period. Full stop. Go do something else. Don't waste your time. <laughs> See, um, I think, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I think sometimes they can catch frequencies that we can't hear. Um, and that they could be the, the apparition could be speaking on a different frequency that we just can't hear. Now, I do have some hearing loss from working for uh, the mounted police because uh, we were around firearms without uh, ear protection in the field. Um, there was, um, you know, snowmobiles, twin auto planes I was on. So uh, it's very possible that, uh, you know, if I'm at an investigation and you do hear a voice that I might not possibly hear it. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, remember the time they used to, but I don't put all my, um, they, uh, they used to say, uh, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. And now it's become everybody's entitled to their own truth or their own reality. And so, um, as with gender and, and also, but in parapsychology or EVP and, and many of the ambiguous, uh, things, um, they can believe whatever they want and, and, you know, and, uh, 
it, their worldview is going to be different in no way near um, uh, science. But it's, uh, yeah, everybody nowadays are brought up to believe they have their own reality. And as I do, I mean, I'm a young, handsome, and dating Timothy Chalamet. But <laughs> I would agree with the first part, you know? <laughs> But, but you know, uh, yeah, no, I mean, and everybody, you know, sometimes I get very frustrated because um, it either comes my way and I have to try to explain or and that's why I took my uh, told my students in writing, be careful what you create. because You might create something really annoying to me, um, but we know where crop circles and chupacabra and uh, satanic panic came from and. And all the things, I would, um, especially since 1980s, you can always track them back to where they began and how they were faked, essentially. And so I have to explain that. And, and King Arthur um, put my head through a wall with that one. And but it, it, yes, people can believe whatever they want. But what it does is it, it fills up the world with garbage. And and they tend to then go into like parapsychology, psychology, anomalistic psychology, what have you. And they they try to, you know, um, they, yeah, yeah, I just get very frustrated so much so that I can't be very eloquent when I'm talking about it, um, <laughs> about that stuff. It's it's like orbs. Um, some rare people still believe, but a UFO yes. Um, yes. researcher destroyed them. And EVP has been destroyed for a while. It just, it's been dead for a while. It just hasn't laid down and been buried. Um, so until, it, yeah, um, I'll, uh, I'll believe Elliot and his Phillips experiment um, long before I will believe EVP. <laughs> well, believe you guys is just, a, what's a believe again? You know, right? You know, you know what? One thing is just, I think it is absolutely crucially important is for people to be, uh, to think about everything critically, to approach what they hear, what they see critically. But the thing is that a lot of the people are so gullible and lacking um, even theoretical uh, understanding of things that they would just believe anything. They're I not yeah, absolutely. But um, and then at the same time, it's absolutely important. So if uh, uh, people are listening, it's uh, absolutely crucial uh, to adopt the critical thinking, because I met I met I actually didn't meet Dr. Elliot. I didn't meet him on TV. It's like okay, I met him on TV. Uh, he wasn't one of the shows, and I'm like, oh, okay, he's talking about all that, you know. But uh, there's a lot behind it, and you know what yeah. the EVP when they're talking about it is so funny to me that when on those shows that would claim that the ghost was actually German when uh, people lived yeah. uh, in the United States and that would be United States show, but the ghost was German from 300 years back. And on the EVP, it comes in a perfect American accent. You know, King's the, English, yes, the King's English. It, it just uh. happens, like all of a sudden, it produces from the other world. It comes to here as a perfect American English. Yep. It's so funny. Exactly. It's funny. It, people don't understand that it's not just parapsychology. You have to know uh, psychology, sociology, photography, electronic engineering, um, physics. Uh, parapsychology, physics, yes, chemistry sometimes, um, weather. 
uh, meteorology. Um, there were two other ones. So there's essentially, you just can't take a couple courses off, you know, off the internet. Um, you've got to delve into, I mean, don't go to university for all of those. You'll never, you'll be 92 by the time you get out to start <laughs> your, your career in parapsychology. But, um, you know, at least read a textbook because you can get older textbooks very easily at used bookstores. And so I always try to look for a psychology 101 just so I can keep up on a lot of what the research is going in areas that I'm not, um, you know, uh, interested in or what have you. And so, but that's what people have to know is that you, you, you really have to know a lot to do this. It's not just some gravy job that you just, you know, at night, um, go and, you know, go into a dusty basement or a graveyard and, and, you know, they call that legend tripping. Um, and it's another word too, which I can't remember a phrase, but essentially it's akin to masturbation. All it is, you go out, you're excited, you're having a wonderful time, you feel good when you get back, but in the end, it's not real, and absolutely <laughs> nothing was accomplished. <laughs> That's one way, that's one way to look at it. Nothing was accomplished. I like it. <laughs> nothing was accomplished. <laughs> That's 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 the one way to look. Oh, the hate mail I'm going to get. <laughs> it's all scam. It's all scam. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. I um. Yeah. Like for the Bigfoot. Oh my God. When um, when do yeah. you think your next book's going to be out? I know you got a few manuscripts that are close. Well, I've, I've got, yeah. Um, I've got three Jack the Rippers. Um, two, two big, two Bigfoot manuscripts, three Jack the Ripper manuscripts. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, ghosts. Yes, I actually, um, actually do my, uh, my folklore, Nova Scotia folklore one as well. I, I nice. just, uh, was supposed to do as well as up, up, um, update my, uh, near death experience book. But unfortunately, uh, this fall has been something else and December has just been crazy. So I haven't been able to do that. But I want to get it out. Uh, the Bigfoot one in particular. Uh, I saw something on TV the other night, and I said, you know, I better get moving on that again. Um, I was hoping to get a lot of the original people have died, so I was hoping to get John Greens and and John Bindernagos and maybe Peter Burns, um, but I uh, research and cases. But of the 7,200, you know, I already know that when I fiddle with uh, putting in cases that uh, that I would re normally reject, it only swings things like 1%. So I really don't need those, but if uh, anybody's listening and wants to contact me, <laughs> um, I'll use it only, uh, uh, you know, um, confidentially and, and uh, you know, the results in, in doing the analysis. So uh, absolutely do not want to uh, steal somebody else's work. Uh, the same with Ghost Project Canada. Elliot and I do not want to steal people's case files. We just want to know if you went to uh, someplace, some lighthouse on, uh, you know, Lake Erie, and um, you don't have to say a name, you don't have to say the precise location, you just have to say there's something that is reported in the general area of whatever, and... Um, you know, and tell the story without giving it away. It can be done. And if it is somebody's case studies in particular, I don't want to horn in on that. I uh, don't have time to anyway. And I certainly, you know, don't want even to really analyze it. 
uh, not for Ghost Project anyway. And so um, do that afterwards, but in comparison to everything else, not not you know reinvestigate you know somebody's cases. So, but yes, yeah. Elliot, mm -hmm. you're well, supposed well, to people, give me like shit that. all the time for not doing it. Most people uh, that contact us, though, they're uh, they're willing to allow us to use their their experiences, which is which is good. Well, you know, maybe the odd person wants a pseudonym use, but uh, yeah, for the most part, uh, surprising been, too. Yeah, we get their written consent. Um, um you usually through, you, 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 yeah, usually I get it through uh, when I take their statement because I I tell them that they're being. Uh, uh, audio record it mm -hmm. um, and that uh, what we'll use it for and then I usually gauge what they want like whether they want their name involved or or not mm -hmm. now for our cases when we do our cases we do have a consent form that I get uh, uh, clients to, to fill out um, we actually talked about possibly getting insurance uh, for our nonprofit organization in a case God forbid, you know, one of our investigators goes in and breaks something that was really valuable. Uh, Daryl told a story, a, a crazy, it's actually a crazy story, but when he was working on a television show, Shadow Hunter, somebody made a complaint to um, our producer friend saying, literally saying that somebody urinated in his chair at his house. And that there Within was a, his line of sight. And then, and there's a stain on the chair. And so she must have taken a look at it and seen some sort of stain on it. Um, and then she ended up having to give him like 75 bucks to have it like professionally cleaned. Two dogs, three cats. It so, was a ghost, guys. It was a ghost. It was a ghost, <laughs> yeah. Ghost pee on. Ghost pee on the chair. Yeah, so, uh, so you just you just never know. But, uh, yeah, that was something that we looked into uh, as well. But, uh, yeah, no, we try and, we try and have a strict... Uh, you know, there's a lot of what I did involved I... in these. You know, there's the ethical thing. So you have to get their permission personally. You have to get the permission to use the location uh, to film it and all this. So, I mean, the paperwork can be um, very extensive sometimes, especially then if it's a, at a public place or, say, a business or something like that. Then you've got to contact head office and the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and also when we're doing our investigations, Elio's agree with me that you have to tell them, get out of the house. You need to be out of the house for three months. We're turning off your power. Get those, <laughs> dogs, get those dogs out. We're going to wire up everything. So your electric bill is going to shoot up because uh, we're going <laughs> to plug it into the, um, the garage, not the house itself. We might have to cut those, those uh, lines, but that's okay. You know, it's not that expensive anymore to put, uh, you know, to do electrical work. Uh, hey, I know somebody's brother-in-law will do it for you. But anyway, essentially, you have this is what you would have to do because we need a location that has frequent haunting and is visual because that's actually the only way you're going to tell there's ever a ghost. There's nothing else that will do that. And so, and then you can take all that equipment that we have, put it in place, and then you can do the analysis uh, of of the haunting because you know it's actually uh, frequent enough that you can then get data. And in the last 15 seconds, I uh, technically have because I said I thought I said 12:30. Um, I'll go on to four. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you know, uh, the one of the things was when I saw a ghost. I've only seen two ghosts, and that's been very recently. But one of them, when I saw a ghost of a little boy in this room. And Elliot was in another room telling, uh, talking about parapsychology and what we do. 
I was so freaked out. I did not remember to go get the equipment. And it's like, I just banged my head against the wall ever since thinking, oh my God, what could you, I know <laughs> you see it goes for the first time and you suddenly freak out. Oh, that's really I professional, Daryl. Um, we, you know, we, we, had a, we can we had a, the, the camera like the police do, right? Yeah, well, we just purchased some of those. We just we just purchased some of those for uh, PPRI actually for for them, and um, yeah, that would that would have been perfect actually if Daryl had had Wouldn't that it? on there, because uh, he it? you know he would have uh, well either we would have saw one of two things you would have saw that ghost apparition incident happen on the film, or we'd have to investigate further because Daryl saw it like perceptually but it didn't record on the video so we'd have to figure out like well yeah. what was going on um, and that room was was horrible you i did not want to be in it um yeah it was very unwelcoming very there had to be infrasound or electromagnetic stuff going on and that can cause hallucinations uh in susceptible people and um so i can't say that it was actually a ghost even though on a personal level i'm absolutely convinced i saw a ghost and one of our um when we had the symposium i was asked to a table where one of our guest speakers and two of her friends were there and they asked me, what's the difference between a hallucination and a ghost and reality? I said, well, they're totally different because I've, I've experienced hallucinations. So it's like, no, not even remotely close. So when they say people are hallucinating uh, for ghosts, they can hallucinate, but you can't, you know, if, you know, you can't just, just throw it out and say they're hallucinating because those are two totally different experiences. Um, now, maybe if somebody only is hallucinated, they might not know the difference in the feeling and everything else that goes with actually seeing something of a supernatural, apparently supernatural uh, origin. So, mm. but, you no, know. it is very fascinating. Daryl, where can people uh, get in touch with you? I, uh, for those that uh, weren't watching on YouTube and were just listening, uh, the Ghost Project Canada website is ghostprojectcanada.com. .com, yep. And ghostprojectcanada at gmail.com. Uh, also, I'm on Facebook where I have uh, Legends and Monsters of Atlanta, Canada, Ghosts of Nova Scotia page, uh, the page uh, Ghost Project Canada. Um, I've got a bunch of, of uh, pages. So, um, and that's my name right down there. I don't think I have the BD in the name, but I might. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on uh, all social media and stuff like that. So You're just omnipotent. You, it'll be easy. Yeah. If I can just update it all the time and get a chance, um, you know, so it's. Uh, I know that's yeah, the thing. Sign it into all the accounts and keep yeah. it updated. And, so yeah. it's really easy for you to give me hate mail, people. <laughs> you can also, that's you can also, you can also send them an email at dwalsh at ppri.net too. Send mm. all those hate mail there. Or date requests, <laughs> by the way, you know. Or, or date requests, yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. great, Carol. We we appreciate uh we appreciate having you on. And uh yeah, I know you're on uh Michelle de Roche's show uh later Thursday this week night, as yeah. well. So uh, talking about uh, European ghosts uh, and why they tell they have their Halloween on Christmas Eve. And, oh yeah, uh, European that, Europeans and, have yeah. accents. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, the ghost yes. was speaking with an accent. <laughs> yes, yeah. the King's English. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, folks. I really appreciate it, and I'll do it anytime because uh, you might not have noticed that I love to talk. 
but that's because I lectured for so long that I can't, it's very hard for me to focus very, you know, surgically on something without, I'll be there. And then it's like, oh yeah, but then related to that is, and I did that in my classes and, and they just loved it because they, you know, but uh, in timed things like this or a symposium where, you know, when you've got X number of, I was doing a three hour lecture and I only had 75 minutes to do it. Um, so here I am trying to go over, read the pages and try to, you know, what can I drop out? So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, sometimes I do get a little overly loquacious. Um, <laughs> well, then everything is so important. We hope to see you back on our show. Well, yeah, we'll have you on again. You. We'll have you on again and we'll yeah. have to, uh, we got to sit down one night and film another episode of our mm. parapsychologist podcast. Unfortunately, I'm going to see him again this Christmas sometime. He'll be in the city, but it was nice <laughs> meeting you, Yana, and I hope someday that uh, <laughs> nice we'll be able to meet in person too. Absolutely. Take care. Absolutely. Thank you. Have a good and night. And Merry Christmas. Yes, you too. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We're going to and, the 2024. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, I know. Oh. All our listeners out there, uh, we've got a couple, uh, yeah, a couple more shows planned for you guys. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, tonight we were broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, the UFO Paranormal Radio Network, one hundred five point three and one hundred seven point seven FM from New Orleans, and also on Roku TV. We Everyone are have a have a great. We are everywhere. We're everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> everyone have a great night. Have a good night, everyone. Take Bye. Care. Bye. 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 Bye.